Hello, everybody. My name is Dan Copeland. I'm the author of the novel Let It Be. And today I'm speaking with Glenn Merzer, author of the book Off the Reservation. Greetings, Glenn. Hi, Dan. How are you? Good, man. How are you doing? All is well here. That's good. So, Glenn, you've written a political satire novel about a congressman who doesn't want to run for president and ends up running for president. What in the world were you thinking when you decided to write this book? Well, um, you know, at this point, I, I find it a little hard to remember what, what I was thinking as I, as I started to write it. But I do remember during Obama's campaign in 2008, uh, his, his uh, little catchphrase, yes, we can. And I remember thinking, what if somebody ran for president with a little more realistic catchphrase of no, we can't, you know? Can we uh, can we make uh, society more equal and fair and and progressive? No, we can't. Uh, can we stop climate change? No, we can't. And I I thought, now how would that go over <laughs> if a candidate actually was was uh, less optimistic about being able to do things? And right. uh, of course. Such a campaign would not be terribly inspiring and would not win. Uh, but I took that idea, and then I thought, well, what if a candidate actually kind of flirted with that idea but then turned it around and found some cause for hope and some cause for uh, ways to improve, uh, improve society without making any phony promises? So what if we had a really honest candidate for president who said things that no real candidate for president would ever say. So that was my initial inspiration. Right. And how long did it take you to write your novel? I would say about a year and a half. Okay. And, you know, for me, the concept of political satire is always a deft one because you I think you find yourself wanting to play with a sledgehammer when really you need to kind of play with a feather and how did you walk that tightrope of 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 uh, of trying to keep it to the point where it, it wasn't an out and out rant but it was still entertaining and engaging that's a good question and i and i I think the answer is just uh an innate sense of 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 what works, and also running it by friends and good readers and, and asking them how they feel. Um, I, I know that I, I have a kind of uh, rant detector built in <laughs> that I, I don't want to go on rants and I don't want to annoy the audience, um, but there are things I want to say. So right. as I write what I want to say, I, I, I try to ask myself as objectively as possible, am I going over the top here? And I often do on my first draft, maybe on the second draft, but I do try to eventually come to a draft where the, the uh, value on entertainment is higher than the value on, uh, you know, on getting my points across. And I try to build whatever points I'm trying to make into entertainment. I know for myself, being a Buddhist and, and 
a lot of times I find myself um, trying to infuse my work with a uh, a message or, or a path towards an enlightenment for my audience. Um, and I find myself walking that tightrope in the same manner. On the one hand, there's, you know, a desire to inform people about alternative views and to present them in the best possible light and then but at the same time you can't you, you can't write a book that's meant to be a piece of entertainment and have it be a lesson uh, you know a school lesson where there'll be a test afterwards so right. uh, you know in now, my did, novel let it be oh go ahead yeah i was going to ask you did you feel that there was a buddhist message underlying the content of let it be I, I do actually. Um, you know, the, the "Let It Be" came out of uh, you know a very great frustration on my part with the world the way it was 13 years ago when I started writing it, where a lot of our foreign policy seemed to be based on revenge and not on the facts and the, the detriment the, that America has suffered, as well as abroad, as well as at home upset me greatly. And um, having known the sense of rage and having known the sense of revenge and how powerful an emotion that is, it was something I wanted to explore. And I remember reading a book um, by a a war journalist called War Gives Gives Us Meaning. And this was a guy uh, who had been in every, you know, hellhole in the world and watched acts of genocide and brutality and inhumanity. And his conclusion, after having spent decades witnessing the worst of humanity, was that we have to find a way to love, to grace. And that became kind of the overriding arc of of the characters in my book, who start with a man who's seeking vengeance and how he can find his way to a state of grace and love on that journey for revenge. Um, and so the quest for love is, in a sense, part of the path to enlightenment. Um, there's, a, there's a character in, in, the, in the, the, the Buddhist sutras called a bodhisattva never disparaging, and he would bow to everyone he met or every living being he met because he understood in his heart that all living beings are Buddhas um, and the the compassion, even though they were unrealized Buddhas, to have the compassion to bow to them and recognize the potential for Buddhahood in perhaps the most despicable human being you could possibly imagine that is the kind of grace and love that uh, that exists in Buddhism, and it's not in my novel overtly, I have to say, but it was it was something of the uh, something in the ether or in the mix that uh, that I was able to incorporate. Now you mentioned that you started 13 years ago. So w- was it the invasion of Iraq that was the uh... The, uh, yeah, the yeah, it was the whole aftermath of 2001, 9/11, and you know, it just it 
it was a, a you know and i think when we look back on history i think that it it's not going to play well on america uh and um, well, i i think your your um uh diagnosis that revenge could have had something to do with it uh, one theory of the war in iraq is that uh, george w bush was trying to get revenge at saddam for trying to kill his daddy and yeah, awful, yeah. If that's the case. An awful lot of people died for that uh, <laughs> that desire for revenge. Indeed, indeed, and you know, the American, human history is replete with acts of revenge. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was it. That was the kind of thing that set me off. And the other, you know, the other stuff that was going on in my life is that you know I had been through a divorce, and there was a sense of loss there, and and what I saw happening in the world was another sense of loss and grieving. Um, and, you know, I have to write from a place of, of an exaggerated emotion. That's the thing that incites me to write. So um, that the, the combination of those things and then my own experiences with, with death, um, you know, one of the earliest memories I had as a child was was um, sitting with my grandmother after she had had a heart attack, and then um, a few months later, I remember a very vivid memory of watching my mother get the phone call that her mother, my grandmother, had passed away, um, and uh, having almost died and having been shot at a couple of times, I I had this history with death that. Um, uh, at the risk of making it romantic, um, it, it was good good soil to plant this story in um, and watch it grow. Um, and you know, there's there's a philosophy or the argument of the piece is that, particularly in the Western side of the world, we really are very much in denial about the, our own mortality, and that in order to really live a full life, you really have to be able to embrace death as part of that, that journey. And, um, I think, you know, in our instant gratification society, we, uh, we live in fear of death and in denial. And I think that's robbing us of, uh, a great deal of the joy of, of our existence so those were the things that kind of incited me to to write this story. Well, I'm I'm tempted to ask you who who shot at you. Is that question out of bounds? It is out of bounds, but I will say this: <laughs> right. the world has a very different color when drywall is splintering in your face. <laughs> All right, um, and. Um, why did you choose as the title of your book the the same title as a famous Beatles song? Actually, the the title of the book has nothing to do with the Beatles song. It's it's an oblique reference to uh, a quote from Shakespeare in Hamlet, where um, Hamlet says, uh, "Words to the effect: There is a special providence in the fall of a sparrow. If it is to come, it will not be. If it is to be, it will not come." Um, if it is not to be, yet it will come. The readiness is all, but let it be, let it be. So uh, is that therefore where the Beatles got their title from, presumably? 
I have no idea. Next time I run into Paul McCarthy, I'll ask him. Ask him, because you you may be uh, you know borrowing from the same source. Possibly, possibly, but no. So th- th- that's where the the title came from, and th- that passage. Well, was it a concern? Was it a concern of yours at all, though, that people like me see the title and think for a moment Beatles before they, you know, open the book? You know that that's an interesting question, and that's one of those tightrope walking situations where um, you have to give it some thought. Um, for me, the passage that I just quoted from Hamlet is is so I don't want I want to say mystical, but it's it's you know the one of the great things about Shakespeare is the richness of his language and how it's endured. And even though the Elizabethan context has, you know, a slightly different meaning for us today than it had then, there's still a richness and um, an enlightenment in in his use of language. Um, and that passage that I quoted seemed to just reflect the emotional state of the two characters the character of death and, and the character of Yates Dane, who's, you know, on the journey of revenge, um, where they're both trying to achieve something that may not happen. And so all they can do is to be ready, ready to play and see how the chips fall. So what was the biggest obstacle in your mind, in, in in writing your novel, were there points where you just hit a wall and you said, "Good God, what was I thinking? I shouldn't be doing this." I think the the biggest obstacle was going from my original, you know, uh, uh, catalyst—the idea of a of a someone running for president saying pessimistic things—to then realizing, right. well, that won't work. So how can I use that still, have a candidate be very honest and realistic, and then build in uh, some inspiration and some hope um, without contradicting the realism? And so uh, in the novel, that became a chapter called The Speech, uh, which is uh, uh, the third chapter of the book in which the candidate gives his speech at the Democratic National Convention of the changes he would like to make. Um, and, uh, and then the challenge was to keep that speech entertaining, which is, which is the priority value here, but give actual content, actual ideas that would uh, be uh, you know, worth striving for in a political campaign and would actually affect people's lives from uh, something that might seem uh, uh, less than sexy, a change in the electoral college system, uh, to uh, to things about, uh, you know, marriage equality and raising the minimum wage and, and other more issues, other issues that are uh, more uh, common, and and my candidate also, although progressive on most issues, 
is an opponent of Obamacare and of the Democratic left's approach to health, uh, because my candidate says health is more important than health insurance. Uh, we have today a president, Obama, who I supported from the time he, he announced in, in 2008 um, or 2007, whenever it was, um, uh, but who takes great pride in Obamacare that has apparently, you know, added whatever, 15 or 20 million people to the ranks of the insured. But I just heard on the news yesterday that obesity in, in America is now up to 40% for women and 35% for men. So we have a situation where mm -hmm. more and more people are insured, but they're getting less and less healthy. So what difference does it make? If the real priority were on health instead of health insurance, we would have to conclude that Obamacare is a failure. Uh, even in, in spite of uh, Michelle Obama's uh, Let's Move initiatives and everything else, people are getting fatter and fatter. And as, as my candidate argues, it's the food. If you don't change the food that right. you eat, it doesn't matter how many doctors you go to. It's the food that is far more determinant of human health than access to medical care. And in fact, Doctors and hospitals kill somewhere between 200 to 300,000 people a year. So, you know, Bernie Sanders wants to have Medicare for all and give free access to medical care because it's a right. There's no telling how many people Bernie would kill. I mean, access to medical care is not an unmitigated good. So uh, I wanted to have a candidate who would say that and speak the truth which is that if you want to improve mm -hmm. human health, you have to change the food, which means ending subsidies to right. animal agriculture so that the price of a cheeseburger will go to $20 instead of $2. And that will improve human right. health far more than Obamacare ever would. So that's, that's the kind of point I wanted to make in the book. And uh, I tried my best to make it as, you know, in as entertaining a way as possible. Um, did you so, feel other than like, the like my like the your Buddhist concern concept, about that you had up, some hey. some other message? Well, I, you know, like I kind of go with Sam Golden on this point. If I want to send a message, I'll use Western Union. I think you know the primary purpose of a novel is to take people on a you know a wild ride and entertain them, and you know my and give them an escape you know I, I think my novel is an escapist fantasy with you know very deep rooted moral uh, uh, um, foundation not so much message but I did borrow heavily from the Celtic myths and the Greek myths and some of the Aztec myths about the Day of the Dead and the the origin myths of, of the Celtic tribes with uh, Finn McCool and uh, the Greek myth Orpheus. Um, those are all kind of interwoven in my story. And I like to do that because it adds such a richness to the, uh, to the content. And one of the things that I found very interesting is when I would tell people about the story, um, and I've spoken to people from many different ethnic and, and um, 
geographic backgrounds, they would all say, oh, yeah, that sounds like a story from my country. So I think I may have tapped into something pretty universal about this story of of death, the angel of death falling in love with a human being and the complications that might arise from something like that. Um, the thing I wanted to ask now, you, you was, know uh, where the... given the... Go ahead. I was I was going to say, did, did you know where your wild ride was going when you started writing it, or were you along for the ride? Well, I I always I always write. I don't start writing until I know the beginning and the end, and maybe the middle. And so I do a lot of research. I outline, um, and. Uh, so I have a pretty good idea of where my story is going to start and how I think I want to end it. And then I go on the journey and, you know, I start writing and all of a sudden the character pops up and starts taking things in a different direction. And I go with it and see where it leads. And that happened frequently writing this novel, which is always a pleasure to see, you know, kind of the... Uh, the supernatural id taking over and taking you on a journey and all of a sudden you become um, a mere scribe perhaps to amuse. So uh, that happened a few times, uh, but I always, uh, I always believe that doing research and having at least an outline of where things should go is a good way to start. Otherwise, you're literally looking at a blank page and that's a pretty scary thing. And one of the ways to avoid being scared by a blank page is to have a roadmap of, you know, where you're starting and where you're ending. And once you have that, then it's no longer a blank page. It's, you know, a stop on the journey. How about you? Do you ever find yourself, uh, do you do a lot of research? Do you outline? Um, or do you just sit down and say, let's go? Uh, in this case, I, I had uh, an extended outline and I, um, uh, it wasn't so much a matter of research because the, the subject was politics, and I'm something of a political uh, aficionado, and so I have my base of knowledge on, on modern American politics. Um, uh, and uh, so I, uh, I wasn't flying blind uh, with this one at all. Excellent. So the thing I wanted to ask you is, is like your concerns about my Buddhist message or my, my message method, did you have a concern that taking a, a liberal or progressive position in your novel might alienate a lot of your readers or make it, make it something that um, would be controversial? Uh, well, not at all, really, because controversial is good. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I have now, I think, 199 reviews on Amazon uh, with a pretty pretty good average, I think, 4.4. Uh, right. Uh, and, uh, uh, and among those are several one-star reviews that say, you know, liberal shit, you know, another uh, left-wing nut or whatever. Uh, but the truth is that my candidate, is not a down the line lefty. 
if he were, he'd be supporting Obamacare. <laughs> you know, right. so uh, my candidate uh, has some takes some positions that are run counter to left-wing Democratic, uh, capital D Democratic orthodoxy. Um, uh, but uh, in the main, he, you know, he's a Democrat and he's uh, he's mostly progressive on most issues. And uh, but it's it's a matter of what what the candidate feels is what I feel, which is that. We, our priorities are a little screwed up. We need to care more about things like climate change and a little less about things like health insurance. Uh, and so, um, uh, you know, he, he, I would love to see a candidate for office actually talking most of the time about things that matter and less right. of the time about, about uh, things that, uh, for some reason, have become major political issues without real, uh, real effects on people's lives. Right. Um, now, uh, do, what genre do you feel that your your book uh, fits into? Is it a, the, the fantasy genre? Yeah, that's a kind of a, a tough one for me because um, it kind of skates across a couple of genres. I guess, you know, it certainly has that super... I think it's probably best in the supernatural, dark fantasy, thriller genre. Um, yeah, that's probably where it's best. Um best suited but you know it's kind of got magical realism and and uh and you know supernatural romance uh elements as well and in, in a sense it's you know a fantastical love story and i remember it ended with a sense that there could be more to come is there a sequel in the work well, you know, that's an interesting question, because when I wrote it, I had not thought that there would be a series or a sequel. But one of the things that happens when you write something and people respond to it is that you start to see that there may be a different point of view. And many people have said, wow, I can't wait for the next book in this series. And while that tickles my heart, um, yeah, I, I hadn't really planned it, but certainly... The, the Neve character at the end, um, there's a possibility for her to continue the story on her own journey. Um, and then there's the Jobutsu chapter, which was kind of a prequel chapter. Um, there's certainly um, room there to you know, continue the stories that took place in that, that section as well. And a lot of people really like that Jobutsu chapter as one of their favorite chapters and, and the characters in it, which um, was kind of a surprise to me as well. But um, that's that's the joy of, of and reward of creating something and then putting it out there and seeing how people respond to it. Have you been surprised? Now, I assume there, it took it, you 12 or 13 years to write. Is that correct? Well, it started out as a screenplay because it was going to be my next film. And um, I kept rewriting the screenplay and, um, you know, was having difficulty getting traction 
on raising the money to make it as a film. And then I ran into a publisher who, and I told him the story, and he said, well, if you wrote that as a novel, I'd publish it. And I said, well, I'm not a novelist. He says, well, go write it as a novel, and I'll publish it. And so um, from when I, I decided... When, go ahead. I was going to say, William Saroyan, the playwright from the 30s or so, uh, once decided to direct one of his own plays, and he was told, you're, you're a writer, you're not a director. And he said, well, at some point in everyone's life, you're not a director. And then you direct a play, and you're a director. So, right. In principle. A play. So now I'm a novelist. You're a novelist. Um, yeah. So it took about, I would say, two years to do convert it from a novel, from a screenplay to a novel. Um, Only two years. I wasn't working on it's yeah, I wasn't working novel. on it all. Yeah, I wasn't working on it a long time. I mean, I started it, and then I said, oh, this is no good. I, I can't write a novel, and then I put it on the shelf. And then I ran into that publisher again, and he said, well, where's the novel? And I said, you're, you're, you were serious? And he said, yes. So he forced me back to the computer, and I finished it. Now, you, it's a long novel. How many pages? It's uh, about, uh, I think it's about 60,000 words, 180 pages or so. Oh, it's, a, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's 180 pages. Okay, I thought it was longer than that. Yeah. Okay. So it's not that, not that on, long on a novel. On my Kindle version, it, it, it looked like it was more pages than that. Yeah, I think the um, Kindle version is about 238 or something, just because of the way they format it for Kindle, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, let me ask you this. What's next for you? I have just completed a stage play, and I don't know why, because it's so damn hard to get a play produced in this country, but I, I had an idea, and, and I was a playwright first, and so I, I wrote a stage play. So I think my next... Uh, task will be to take that stage play and turn it into a screenplay because as hard as it is to get a movie made, uh, it is probably easier to get a $5 million movie made than to get a $25,000 play produced. <laughs> so uh, I think I will try to turn my my stage play into uh, into a screenplay and the challenge will be in, quote, opening it up because some of the scenes are long quote, talky scenes in, in, you know, in one location and try to figure out a way to make it more filmic. Well, congratulations. I've been talking with Glenn Merzer, author of Off the Reservation. And Glenn, where can people buy your book? The, the best way is on Amazon. It's also available you know, on the Barnes & Noble website and I think the Apple website, whatever, but uh, I always find it easiest just to go to Amazon. Great. And I'm Dan Copeland, author of the novel Let It Be, the story of what happens when death falls in love, and it, as well, is available from Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Glenn, thank you very much for being my guest today. Thank you, Dan. I enjoyed it. Me too. So long. Bye-bye. Bye.